We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report. Uh, we are without Hassan once again, but excited to be joined by uh, two very special people in the industry. Of course, you know Sean from his appearances on this very network uh, and and just Rotoviz in general. Sean, how's it going? Good, good. <laughs> I'm, I won't step on your introductions here, but I'm very excited for this. Definitely, yes. We uh, didn't, wanted to do a playoff best ball show with Sacrilegious. He's one of the top I think best ball minds working in the industry is certainly uh, doing a lot of great stuff at legendary upside with the underdog playoff format. So absolutely excited to be talking to you today. How's it going? I'm, I'm really excited. Had uh, had an all right week 17 finished 15th in the DK play action. Um, so nothing crazy had a, a few other week 17 finals teams kind of die on the vine after some promising starts with Brees Hall and Jerome Ford. But uh you know, all in all, a very fun best ball season um, and just super excited to be doing a pod with you guys. You know, been a, a huge fan of Sean's for a long time. And uh, and of course, you know, Blair, you know that I, I read all your stuff. That's how I got to so much Kendra Miller this season. <laughs> well, I do apologize for that call and for uh, for many others, but uh, it's OK. But... You also got me onto uh, an absolute ton of Jameer Gibbs. So I think it balanced out. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, you've been, uh, doing some really cool work at legendary upside, which is kind of the basis for, you know, a lot of the stuff I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, maybe the best place to start is just for someone who's just getting into these underdog playoff contests. If you haven't done one before, um, what do you say to that person who's trying to get some money? Yeah, I think if you're brand new to this format, the best thing you can do for yourself is, you know, read some content surrounding it um, and really just get an idea of some helpful heuristics to get you through your first few drafts while you kind of get your sea legs. And this is, I mean, it's truly one of my favorite formats for fantasy football across the board. Um, But it's one where you really benefit from reps, just like anything practice really helps you improve. But because of how different this is from your traditional fantasy contests, I really do think that you benefit from getting a lot of reps in on this. So if you're going to dive in, 
I would recommend not going into some of the higher dollar contests right away, even if that's within your bankroll, but fire off at, you know, the $5 puppy or uh, mitten contests or the, the $3 little mitten contests just to get your feet wet and kind of understand the format before you start firing off at the bigger ones like the gauntlet or the little gauntlet or the, the big mitten. Um, and some of those heuristics just, you know, as easy ones are you need to make sure that you have on your roster five players that could conceivably play in the Super Bowl together. And so typically that's going to be achieved by having players from both the AFC and NFC that add up to fill all the positional requirements on the roster. So at least one quarterback, at least one running back, at least two wide receivers, and then a flex. So that's if you're doing that. This It sounds like not a lot that you have to do, but based on the data from last year, 22% of teams did not fulfill that one requirement of have five players on your roster that could be live in the Super Bowl, which means they were basically immediately dead to win first place in the tournament or even really have a high finish at all in the finals. And so if you can just draft with that one little rule in mind of I'm going to have five live in the Super Bowl. You're already better than one fifth of the field, which is more than what the rake is. So uh, you can already beat the rake just with that real easy one. Um, and that's kind of some some pretty conventional wisdom, I would say. People who had been doing this content before I came around had really been preaching, make sure you have five live in the Super Bowl. I think the the thing that I was the most hesitant to share, the edge that I thought I had that was the easiest thing to do and uh and also a very large edge you could have on the field is not to think about it as optimizing for the Super Bowl. You're actually optimizing for the conference championship round. And the way that you do that is by never drafting more than four NFL teams. And again, these are rules of thumb. So when I'm saying never or always, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is think for yourself and think through logically if something makes sense or not, because um, you'll already be way ahead of the field if you're just thinking a little bit. But uh, optimizing for the conference championship is like if I had to, you know, if you want the clickbait headline, this one trick to make you a winning playoff best ball player is optimized for the conference championship. So max four NFL teams, max two from one conference, typically max one quarterback unless you have a bye week quarterback um, and making sure that all four of your teams could feasibly meet in the conference championship. So avoiding picking teams like you know, uh, for example, picking the Rams and the 49ers on one team together looks pretty thin right now because the only way the Rams don't play the 49ers is if the seven seed upsets Dallas. And so if you do take Rams and 49ers together, you're guaranteeing that one of those two teams is very likely going to be dead by the time you get to the conference championship round. And I, I personally think it's pretty important to try and have as many players alive as possible in the conference championship. Now, you've already sort of gotten us to this and through it by this idea of optimizing for the conference championship. But one of the things that's so cool about this contest, and I think people, as they're working through the tactics for themselves the first time, grab onto, and I think enjoy. It's it's one of the reasons why I find myself getting addicted to it. But it's this tension between initial round advance, especially when obviously some of the teams with the best Super Bowl odds are going to have buys, and that advance into the Super Bowl. And then kind of discussing with that, there's a slightly different dynamic between QBs and running backs in this contest than maybe some other types of contests. And I think people, again, kind of understand that, but you crystallize that really well, I think, in your article so it pops out to people 
how are you looking at those two elements as we're drafting teams? And is there a tension between early round advance and later round advance? Or especially now that the rules have loosened up a little bit or the structure has loosened up a little bit for initial round, is that something we should not really even be thinking about? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And if I had to point to one thing that I think is a problem or a leak that a lot of the field has, it's focusing so much on round one advancement. And Pat has said it best on some of the pods I've done with him. It's because our brains are wired to think chronologically, like, well, first I have to advance from round one, then I advance round two, then I advance round three, and then I'm in the Super Bowl. It's like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense chronologically, but it doesn't make sense from a game theory standpoint. Just for reference, if we look at the gauntlet, round one is two out of six teams advance or a 33% advance rate. Round two is two out of 14 or just under, you know, a, what is that? Like a 12, slightly below or above a 12% advance rate. You're like 14%, right? And then round three is one out of eight. So you're 12 and a half percent advance rate. So second and third rounds are nearly twice as or more than twice as hard to advance out of than the first round and yet people care so much about advancing out of the first round and really that's only that's only half of why it's silly to optimize for the first round the other part is in rounds two and three you're meeting teams from other draft pods so there will be copies of players that you have that other teams have so if in week one it was you needed the Cowboys because the Cowboys are at home. They're against the Packers and it's another CD Lamb alpha week, right? Dak Prescott and CD Lamb combined for 60 points on underdog. And if you had them, it pretty much didn't matter what else you had. You were advancing that team, right? Well, now you're in round two and surprise, everyone and their mom has Dak Prescott and CD Lamb stacked up. And so all of a sudden, those players almost don't mean anything to you. It's about the rest of your roster then and fielding those unique combinations in those further rounds. And so that's why round one is, is even less important. You're the only one with those players. So if you, even one player that has a, a week where they meaningfully separate can be enough to just advance you. And because I think the correct way to play this contest is focusing really on the NFL teams and not so much the players, um, you're going to end up stacking these teams and when a team wins an NFL game, they are more likely to exist in the part of their range of outcomes where they're scoring more fantasy points. So that's that's kind of the uh, you know the balance between focusing on the first round and focusing on the later rounds. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, you know, ah, just totally punt the first round. It doesn't matter. You, you don't even need to feel the full roster. I'd say I'm almost never, you know, leaving a draft without at least five players that are active in the first round, right? I'm not taking six bi-week players or even like five bi-week players and, a you know, Jarek McKinnon or even like Jalen Waddle, who could be dicey to play in the first round of the playoffs coming off his injury. That's probably the thinnest I'll go where I have four players I'm sure are going to be active and then Jalen Waddle. And those are my five. And I'm like, please play and score points for me, Jalen Waddle. Um, but that's kind of the way that I balance thinking about the first round and advancing versus the future rounds. Um, and then with respect to quarterback and running back pairings, that kind of dovetails into the play this contest through NFL teams, don't play it through players. And so because we're trying to make sure that we are getting five active players in the Super Bowl and quarterback and running back are onesie positions where we only are required to have one of each of those for a starting lineup, 
having your quarterback and running back be on the same team solves a lot of problems for you. And also you get some of that positive team level correlation where quarter, you know, it's kind of the rising tide lifts all ships things. If this NFL team is winning, it's likely that the quarterback and running back are going to be doing a little bit better than in a random sample of a game, right? Where they could win or lose. Because once you select that quarterback, that scenario is the one where that quarterback's team goes to the Super Bowl. Otherwise, you don't win any money, so it doesn't matter. So that's kind of the the trick with quarterback and running back together. And I'm, I write as conceptualizing some of what you were talking about there in that if you lose players, and one of the key things that you've discussed is you want to keep as many players live as possible, but when you lose players off of your roster, it's more important to keep that running back live with the QB than keep some of your, say, later wide receivers live. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And part now this is one of the really, uh, it's like a less intuitive kind of trickier part where as I was first going through kind of the game theory of the contest and thinking through it, there are roster constructions where it's actually fine to punt a running back instead of a wide receiver. In the article, I definitely emphasize punting a late wide receiver is typically preferable, but there can be some uh, roster constructions, specifically the ones with four running back, but in general, those are harder ones to build correctly. If you're building four running backs, it's really likely, if, you, if you're not thinking through this or you're not familiar with the format, it's really easy to make a mistake when you build a four running back team. Um, and so in my article and in the tool that we put out at, at Legendary Upside, we've kind of tried to steer people towards, hey, over here in this jar are all plus EV teams. If you select out of this set of teams that we're describing for you, you're likely building a plus EV team. And then over here in this other jar, there's some of these four running back teams. There's some two quarterback teams without both or without either quarterback having a buy. There's more of these unique constructions where there will be sometimes when that type of construction could be a positive expected value construction. But there are lots of other teams in that subset that are negative expected value. And rather than fish around in there and be like, I think I'm going to find a good one. It's like, why don't we just stay within these safe guidelines where I know I can steer you towards a good team. And so that's kind of what led me to the punting a wide receiver off and letting that player die um, as you're advancing through the tournament structure is safer than punting a running back off. Because in general, you're going to be building your teams like a one, three, six, um, where you don't have a lot of wiggle room to be losing running backs uh, before you start drastically reducing the number of combinations you can even field on your roster. Um, but if you did have more running backs, like say a one, four, five, all of a sudden punting a running back can become okay. And in writing the the article, you know, so much of that is all theoretical. And I, I had last year's historical data to do really more so inform me of what do things look like when I get a specific outcome that's like this, not as a predictive, like this happened last year, so it's going to happen again this year. Um, but one thing that you really can't i guess you can but one thing i didn't properly consider when writing the article is how the different adp landscapes can really shift you know what could be a viable construction versus constructions we typically would want to avoid but might have to mix in occasionally um, just for example one thing i'm finding with the way that the ravens shake out is there are some times where you can end up 
with a really nice four running back Ravens team because of how late all their wide receivers go and the fact that both of their running backs are viable but have the bye. Um, and if you play it that way, you can end up with two really strong wide receivers in the early rounds. So your wide receiver firepower is more concentrated on just a small number of players rather than trying to, you know, go with the shotgun approach of I got six dudes and at least two of them are hitting. Um, so those nuances, I think, are one of the things that makes this game my favorite format. Um, and it, I just feel like it's a format that really rewards people that are willing to think. Um, which is my favorite kind of game. Yeah, you mentioned uh, building some interesting Ravens teams. I know, um, you know, we've also discussed a little bit about maybe getting out of the first round not being as important as people tend to think. But um, it's interesting to think about in the context of this season where we already have some certain knowledge after week 17 that the Ravens and 49ers are not going to play in the wild card. So, um, if you're building teams around those two squads, how does that change your approach to the other parts of the roster? Yeah, in general, as you add more players that are on by um, in, in round one, you will become less and less tied to those helpful rules and heuristics that kind of keep you on the rails of make sure you only draft four total NFL teams. Make sure, you know, the the only draft one quarterback thing goes out the window right away. You need to add a second one to help you advance. And I guess technically need is not the correct word because last year with one of six advance, 5% of teams would have advanced taking a zero at quarterback, as fun hmm. as that is to consider. So now that it's two of six advance, I would bet you that the the rate doesn't you know it's not going to just naturally double up to 10 percent, but it'll be somewhere between five and ten percent of teams that can advance with a zero at quarterback so that's interesting um but when you are building those bye week teams if you're at three or more players that are going to be on bye in week one that's where you'll deviate more from these helpful rules of thumb and really be in the realm of i need to think for myself a little bit of how many points can i really expect out of who I've got going in round one, is that enough to be able to advance? Um, and if you get all the way to five players on by, like you, for example, I do quite a bit of 49ers Ravens, number one, because it's the highest probability Super Bowl currently. And number two, because the way that it lines up is pretty beautiful. You can get some, you know, really, really nutted teams um, just with what's been available over the life cycle of the contest where you can have pretty high degree of confidence that if you happen to sneak this really hard to advance team through to the finals, your worst case scenario is that someone showed up with the same team as you and it's you and them splitting first place because it's going to be really hard to get a better projected team to the Super Bowl than some of these variations you're able to build with Ravens 49ers, just the way the draft board falls. Um, but with that in mind, one of the things that I will do where people who have read my content or, or listened to our podcasts um, will, if you were in a draft room with me, when you saw me building a five by week team, you might think, what the heck is this guy doing? He's going way off the rails from what he says I should do. He says I should only have four NFL teams and never two from the same conference. Well, he's got chiefs, Browns and Ravens all on the same team. That doesn't make any sense. And there's times where, and, and this comes down to one of the soft skills um, of reading the room. You need to understand what else is out there in your draft room? Are there 
you know, other people with lots of bi-week players? Are there people that are building really heavily focused on advancing out of the first round? Um, and you need to kind of assess where you need to get your level of strength to, to have a chance. And there's some times where you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I mean, if I stay within structure, so I've got, you know, maybe Chiefs Ravens are my AFC side. And I'm thinking if I stay within structure, I can't add another Raven because that's zero points for week one. And the only other chief I'm looking at adding is like Richie James or Kadarius Tony. So that's not great to help me advance. And you're staring down David and Joku. You're like, I think David and Joku could at least get me enough that that's enough to push me into second place to advance this team. So you might have times like that where you do something that feels unconventional or against some of the, the rules or guidance that I've laid out. But the the best piece of advice I can give you in this contest is just be able and willing to think for yourself um, and you'll find an advantage. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now you talk about building 49ers and Ravens teams together and you certainly alluded to this when you're building those teams so much of it then is going to depend on what's available late but if you get your choice and and often you won't but are you emphasizing advance with those other five spots or maybe even only other four spots i mean if people are advancing without qbs you could certainly imagine scenarios where they're advancing four person teams you know with a qb or are you prioritizing trying to create a scenario where you have Ravens plus an NFC team or 49ers plus an AFC team to give you that in addition to the Ravens 49ers? Yeah, I won't ever, um, in those instances, I'm not going to prioritize it falling neatly into structure. And when I say in structure, it's like what you're describing of, I got 49ers as my primary Super Bowl team. And then I've got some Ravens sprinkled in there. So I could feel the full 49ers Ravens Super Bowl. And say in this instance, you have Brock Purdy as your quarterback. You're, you're describing, I want to add an AFC team 
as some of my help me to advance pieces. And then also in those very few outcomes where that underdog team does make a run all the way to the Super Bowl, it's Cleveland Browns Super Bowl or, you know, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars Super Bowl or Houston Texans. That would be fun. I'd love to root for CJ Stroud in the Super Bowl. But um, you get one of those thin ones as help me advance. And then if this happens, maybe I win all the money because no one has 49ers and, and Texans, right? I'm not specifically prioritizing that. I'm more so when I'm when I'm in that spot where I'm kind of up with my back against a wall of I got five bi-week players. I'm really focusing on getting five live spots in round one. Um, and it's you can kind of think of it as the it's the same principle that we're applying to why we want to have as many live spots as possible in the conference championship round. It's because that's allowing us the best chance to advance there against a really tough advanced structure, one out of eight, uh, when our opponents can have some overlap with us. But in round one, our opponents can't have any overlap with us. They won't have any of the same players. But we're probably looking at one of the lowest probabilities uh, out of the whole tournament for our ability to advance in round one with only five players. Like I, I would say by round two, if you manage to sneak that five bye week player team through, just by nature of how poorly the majority of the field drafts for this contest, you probably go from you know a, a two of 14 or one out of seven probability to advance to like, I would say you could easily get up to 30, 40% to advance round two if you're playing this optimally. And then last season, I had teams in round three that were 100% to advance because I blocked every other feasible combo that my opponents in that pod could have. Um, so when you think of it that way, when you're like, if I get fortunate, I could even have a 100% advance rate in round three if I get this there. I probably can get like a 30% in round two. And so then when you think about round one in that context, it's like, okay, the base rate's 33 if I was building, you know, just like everyone else is building, but I'm probably down below like 15% or something here. So I'm not really going to risk it and try and only thread the needle with four live players in round one. Although you certainly could, you certainly could do it with zero quarterback as well, but I don't want to drop my round one advance rate that low you kind of want to find the balance between I'm happy to sacrifice round one advance rate. Uh, for me personally, the way I think about it with how many Ravens teams I have and how many 49ers teams I have and how much I focus on two bi-week builds. If I get a 20% advance rate for my entire portfolio out of round one, I'll be, you know, doing cartwheels because I know that I'm, I'm taking so much of that through the next couple of weeks. And so that's, you know, 20% when your base rate is 33% is a pretty big sacrifice but that's kind of the way that you want to think about this contest. You should basically, if you're new to this, after week one, you should be losing quite a bit of money. And then in week two, you should start to feel a little bit better. And then hopefully by week three, you can already kind of circle your teams or you're like, all right, if uh, Ravens go to the Super Bowl, this one's winning at least $10,000. And that's that's kind of the position that you'll find. Your, if you play this contest correctly, buy the conference championship games you'll already know like, cool, I'm first place in the gauntlet. If this, like last season, if it was Cincy, San Francisco, I was first place in the gauntlet. Like I had six different versions of the nuts all covered. And unfortunately it didn't play out that way. But if you play the game in the correct way, that's the luxury you get to afford yourself. So yeah, round one's going to be rough, but after that, it starts to get to smooth sailing. And just to, again, give people some context, if you haven't played much yet, when we're talking about prioritizing advance or maybe building some other things, 
the players available in the late rounds are have these huge differences in expected scoring in the first round. So if you have a team, if you have players from teams expected to lose, you're going to have some real firepower there versus other teams that are drafting very, you know, niche types of players or, or however you want to label them. So those are some of the choices you have to make. And there are different incentives for each thing as was just described. So you mentioned having teams covered, describe how you accomplish that. And if there are any negatives to where, if you build such and such a, team you have certain teams in your pod covered is there a situation where that creates problems for you if you have certain other teams in the pod where by having a big chunk of it covered you also have the other chunk that has an advantage on you or is that not really the way that it plays out it's a good question you certainly could end up dominated and so when i when i talk about this i mean let's just think of a hypothetical scenario where it's let's say that it's 49ers Ravens both make the conference championship. And so you have five of those players, right? And the combinations of those five players that are available based on ADP and that actually project for decent fantasy points, like the pool is relatively small. So there will be people with those same five players as you most likely, you know, in your, in your pods. Um, I guess with the two bi-week teams, it gets to be a little harder because it's harder to advance those, right? But just theoretically, you know, hang with me here. We've got people with the same five 49ers and Ravens as us. If you have other teams that were entirely eliminated, and so you only have those five players remaining, you've got a decent chance of being dominated in that pod, where instead of, say, you had the Cowboys as your team to make it to the conference championship with the 49ers, and they get upset, you know, in typical Cowboys fashion to the Green Bay Packers in an embarrassing way, you know, round one at home. And so instead, the, the unlikely Packers go on a run. But guess what? There is some disturbed individual out there that drafted Packers 49ers. Actually, that wouldn't work because the Packers and 49ers face each other. But instead, they drafted Detroit 49ers. And Detroit's the one that makes it through to the conference championship. Well, now if they have any Detroit player above and beyond your combo of 49ers and Ravens, if that Detroit player scores enough that it would outscore any of your players that would hit your active lineup, you've lost. You cannot advance, right? And then even if you tie, you've lost because the tiebreaker then is the next highest scoring player on your bench. Um, so that's that's kind of the way that the, the tiebreaker logic works and how being blocked works. And then to answer your question about, well, what if I let's think about it from the chiefs. Cause I think that's a good angle. What if I went so deep on the chiefs that I have six or seven chiefs because they're a team where it feels really possible that it might not even be that bad to have that many chiefs because all of their, you know, peripheral wide receivers are, are so thin, you know, that, Hey, in any given week, it could be any of these guys and I'll get three really high powered pieces from say the Cowboys. I get Tony Pollard, CD lamb and Brandon cooks. And then I've got, all the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes, and that's what you show up to the conference championship round with. Well, if you were right, and it is Chiefs-Cowboys, which you needed for the Super Bowl, you're never going to be fully dominated, right? Because you've got 10 live in that instance. So you're not you're not in a bad spot, but the situation that you're describing, Sean, where it's like, oh gosh, I might have some of these guys dominated, but then someone else comes in over here with a trump card, so to speak. And instead of, you know, Cowboys and and Chiefs, they've got the Ravens, who are the other side of that Chiefs matchup, and they show up with Zay Flowers, and Zay Flowers is optimal that week. And so then you truly are dominated. So yes, that can play out, but with how poor the field is at this contest in general, 
it won't play out very much because people just won't get to the conference championship with that many live players. And so if you're one of the people that's doing that, you won't have to worry about that scenario happening too often where you're the one that's dominated in the vast majority of pods. You'll be the one that's dominating everyone else. Yeah, this is a good discussion. Um, I mean, it kind of leads into the next topic I wanted to touch on, which hopefully will lead into us actually getting in a draft here, which is uh, what some scenarios you write in the article about scenario-based drafting. Like you're thinking about who's going to actually be in the Super Bowl, who's going to be in these conference championship games. What are some scenarios uh, that you are especially attracted to this season? Maybe apart from the Ravens and 49ers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've been I've been hammering Ravens 49ers, but to get a little bit outside of that, one that falls really nice right now, which I, I think the probability of this scenario actually happening has gotten worse over the last couple of weeks, but that is uh, 49ers and Dolphins. And the reason I say it's gotten worse is the Dolphins, with all their injuries on defense, look like they're going to be a much weaker version of their team and it's so sad because it really feels like the dolphins were getting hot at the right time and their defense is coming together it's like oh my goodness we've got an explosive offense and a defense that can generate takeaways and you know have big drive stopping sacks and all the things you want out of a playoff defense right and then they have these devastating injuries so that's a little bit of a bummer but because of the public sentiment mirroring my sentiment on that being a lower probability outcome now you get some pretty favorable adp slides from the dolphins and so one of my favorite builds um, and the reason I like this so much is because you're opening yourself up to just like the turbo nuts, like a, a crazy, even better build than Dolphins 49ers. Um, but Dolphins 49ers is like your really, really great secondary option. So the nice thing is this is functional on both of the turns. So you can go from the sixth spot, you can end up double tapping sliding 49ers wide receivers, which don't ask me why they're sliding right now, but they are. <laughs> and so you can go, you know, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, doesn't make any sense that they should go with the back half of the first round. People are just scared of the bye, you know, oh, the bye week's so scary. I can't advance round one. It's like, don't worry. You want the team that's in the Super Bowl. Don't worry about round one. And so then you end up with the two premium 49ers pass catchers, right? And it comes back to you on the three, four turn. And at this point, there's a couple different things that could have happened you get really lucky and the CMC drafter declined Brock Purdy because he didn't get either of the other pass catching options. You know, Kittle maybe gets sniped from him and he says, never mind. I don't want Brock Purdy CMC. I'll do something different. I'll do Josh Allen, you know, digs with my CMC. And so in the very rare outcomes where all of a sudden you get Purdy with the premium San Francisco double, now you're in business and then you can tack on whichever Dolphins player is remaining there. Typically, Moster can still be available at the end of that second round. And so you can get, you know, really strong running back that can play in week one for you to help you with that, you know, harder to advance round one. And then on the way back to you, you're hoping that Waddle comes back to fill out a wide receiver spot in week one for you and also fill out your flex spot. But even if it's just a Chan that comes back to you, then you're fine. You, you know, you've got your two running back you got running back and flex covered for week one and then yeah in the super bowl you're gonna have three total running backs so one can't hit your lineup but you know what that's we'll deal with that problem when we get there um and then the other way that that draft plays out is when you don't end up getting 
the Dolphins outcome there, you typically get the Chiefs handed to you. So it's it's really just 49ers, Chiefs, Dolphins, flex play is the way that I would describe this strategy. Um, from the one hole, you end up with a similar thing, but with CMC. And so then it flips the way that you would prioritize the Dolphins players. Um, and one thing with the way that ADPs work in this contest is so much of it is room by room specific. I did a study on the ADPs last year and looked at the uh, interquartile ranges of how the ADPs fluctuated over the life cycle of the contest. And it's the widest ADP changes you'll see in any form of best ball. Um, you know, there were, there were drafts where Debo Samuel was going outside the first four rounds when the 49ers were, you know, looked like a strong team to make the Super Bowl last year. And then as soon as Debo was healthy, there were drafts where he went in the first round as high as, you know, the second or third overall pick. And so you get these huge fluctuations um, in ADP. So when it comes to, oh gosh, I want to take Raheem Mostert here because he's the earliest Dolphin in ADP. Well, when you're with CMC from the one spot, you actually kind of want to get a wide receiver here because you don't have any 49ers pass catchers, most likely. Maybe if you got really lucky, you got Kittle to come back, but you need at least one pass catcher for the Super Bowl. You know, you definitely need two. And so getting one here early is important. So you'd actually prioritize Waddle because if he goes before he comes back to you, then you're doing some really gross stuff like, okay, I'm Cedric Wilson, Jawan Jennings are the wide receivers I need to make this 49ers and Dolphins Super Bowl work for me to field five. Um, but yeah, you so you start CMC, you end up with Waddle, and then typically you can do like a, a Waddle Moser. If you're really lucky, you get a CMC Kittle Waddle or something like that. And then when it comes back to you at the uh, three or four or five turn, all of a sudden now you're looking at most of the time Tua will still be available to you there. Um, and you can kind of read the room on what the Tyreek Hill drafter has open. For example, if the Tyreek Hill drafter has taken another quarterback already or taken a player with another strong quarterback pairing, like if they took, you know, CeeDee Lamb, Tyreek Hill, and you start encroaching on their Dolphins, if they're a, a logical drafter, they'll probably be thinking, that's fine. I'll take Tony Pollard and now I'm playing for Cowboys Dolphins Super Bowl. And so you can, if especially if your uh, competition is predictable, you can kind of push people around the way that you need the room to go for you um, and get into that 49ers Dolphins build. And the reason I like it so much in the gauntlet specifically is it was really hard to get early where you could get hypothetically five Dolphins and one 49er, um, but you can do it now and, and you can get all of the Dolphins pieces with a 49er. And so you have a little bit of an advantage over those teams that were drafting for the same Super Bowl scenario as you earlier in the contest but they didn't have access to all the same players. And so that's, I mean, you want to talk about valuable domination. Like what if we're in the finals and you show up with a five-man Dolphins 49ers stack and we have all the same players, but I have Jalen Waddle as an extra. Like all I need is Jalen Waddle to outscore any of your four skill position players and I win all the money. And so that's that's the kind of stuff that really gets me excited. So that's what, why it's one of my favorite combos right now. Blair, do we need to get into the draft? I kind of want to ask, and again, I mean, you've, you've been covering this as we go through, but how are you balancing the potency of these very top teams and their likelihood to make the Super Bowl with the relative, and you said in part it's becoming easier because players are now frightened, maybe disproportionately so, of the buy. But compared to the ease of building out a very powerful team from say the two through four seeds 
who, yes, they have a much less likelihood of making it. And it feels that way, especially I think after last year where the two number one seeds you know, do make it, but it's a lot easier to put those teams together and there might be some peripheral benefits in addition to the ease. You can, you can cook up some absolute monster. If you avoid players on by, you can draft some teams where you're like, I don't see how this loses. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm advancing all the way through. I might make the Super Bowl with zero live players, maybe, but I'm getting there. Um, yeah, you can build some, some behemoths if you're willing to, to do it that way. And for me, last season, I thought that the 49ers were, I thought the Eagles were not going to be able to handle the 49ers in the playoffs. And so I personally shied away from Chiefs and Eagles as a matchup last year with the two one seeds. You know, when I added in my, my you know, I know ball take of, I don't think the Eagles can handle the 49ers. And the fact that it's so, so hard to get these one seed teams through the double one seed, I was happy to fade that and go with more of the builds that you're describing, Sean, of what if I just get to play all of the really good fantasy players and I do it in a way that's still smart and within the confines of what I should be doing for the contest. And I'll tell you those so much 49ers Bengals. Yeah. I certainly didn't have it covered. Like it sounds like you did, but so much, it was heartbreaking when it didn't come through except for the fact that I've cut from Kansas city. So if the chiefs had to advance, I was like, that's the other side. That'll be all right. I made the mistake last season of, uh, of counting my chickens a little early in the conference championship game. And I told my wife, I was like, look, all we need is 49ers Bengals and we're winning some serious money. And then when Brock Purdy's elbow exploded, uh, my heart also exploded at the exact same moment. So uh, that was that was tough. But for these teams where you can build these uh, you know, verifiable super teams, like if you do something like Cowboys, Dolphins, Browns, you know, and then, well, you wouldn't want to do Lions, but, uh, you know, Rams, Cowboys, Rams, Lions, Dolphins. Oh, my gosh. Like, you have so many crazy fantasy projected players on your team. And so what will happen most of the time is you'll crush round one. You'll likely crush round two, especially if you're picking favorites, too. You know, if you're picking the teams that are projected to win in round one anyway and still getting these teams, you know, with good fantasy assets on them, you crush round one, you crush round two, but by the time you get to round three, you're pretty thin with the number of players you have left surviving because, you know, probably one of the one seeds is going to make the conference championship. It'd be pretty unlikely that both of them miss it. Um, and then all of a sudden you're stuck there and you're hoping for, you know, a Super Bowl scenario where, well, maybe I get one of, I get half of the Super Bowl matchup right. And I end up with three players, which you'll win some money. You'll, you'll win, you know, few hundred bucks, maybe thousand bucks, 2000, if you hit the nuts on that one team, right. But you're just precluded from winning first place. And so for me, I do those teams, but oftentimes I'm doing them. It's all about like the frequency that you're doing certain things in these contests, especially if you're drafting volume. Um, and so I'll do them when they're the best option in the room. And that's something that I, I think I probably should emphasize even more is Every room, you know, number one, the contest is so soft, you should play exploitatively. It's not like regular season best ball where the market is relatively efficient, especially in the early rounds. And there's so much chaos and variance in what can happen over the course of an entire NFL season that balancing your exposures and flattening out in some places can be prudent. Um, in this, the field's so bad, you just play exploitatively. You know, it's like if you're in a poker game where people don't know what hand rankings win, like Dude, if they're just calling you with nothing, like stop trying to bluff them. Just when you when you got the goods, you know, put all the money <laughs> in the middle. And so that's the way I think about this contest is just always try and build the team 
with the highest probability um, outcome, you know, not just Super Bowl outcome, but also considering advancing as well through all the different stages. But I hope that answered it. And I've, I've uh, filibustered us long enough here that we're about to be on the clock. <laughs> we are now on the clock at the 105. Um, there is a chance to do a 49ers thing. We also have Tyreek Hill. What are you thinking? I personally hear if you want to be really risky, you take Brandon Ayuk. If you want to play it safer, you take Tyreek Hill. Um, and I can explain what I mean by riskier or safer after you select. What do you think, Sean? I like Ayuk here. And so what Ayuk opens up for you now is there are some outcomes in this draft where really sick stuff happens and you just crush um, with the way that the draft plays out. But there's also times where you'll put yourself into a harder to navigate situation. And it doesn't even mean that you're going to get out of here with a negative expected value team. It's just that the needle you have to thread and the way you need to construct this team can become a lot more challenging when things go poorly for you here. Like we would have loved if Tyreek Hill comes back to IU, mm-hmm. right? And so now we're in a really interesting spot where we're either going to choose to reach for, you know, an AFC team where the probabilities are all pretty similar, right? Like, and you can, I know ball one way or the other on it, but <laughs> Casey, Buffalo, Miami, they're all, and I mean, shoot, even the Browns are all close enough to each other that yeah. they're going to make the conference championship at a relatively, you know, even clip. So for me here, I probably just go George Kittle and I embrace uh, the wild man aspect of it. And if we get Purdy to come back to us, we're really happy. By the way, I didn't even ask what contest this is. Is this Mitten or uh, this is the gauntlet? gauntlet. gauntlet. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, then we do Kittle because mm-hmm. when you get the Kittle Ayuk Purdy, that was only accessible very early in the contest. There were a lot of uncertainties surrounded there. Like you know, people didn't even know for certain San Francisco had the buy then. So for me personally, I had lots of solo Purdy and solo Lamar teams early because I draft pretty much all of my teams with solo quarterback when there's the uncertainty around the buy. And so there's lots of teams out there that will be dead that have this combo because they can't feel the quarterback in mm-hmm. round one. And so we're basically praying at this point. We're praying that people aren't willing to take Purdy. And then if they do, then we want to make some smart pivots. And there goes Purdy. We want to make smart (laughs) pivots considering the context of the contest as a whole and what has been available over the ADP landscape. And so we still have a couple tricks up our sleeve, um, especially since we have the Dolphins team pinned in on the turn there. We might be able to uh, bully our way there. If we had gone with a Chiefs player, how would we have played that? At this point in the draft, it's really scary to take a Chief because you can't ever deny someone from getting a Pat Mahomes Chief pass catcher stack before it comes back to us, if that makes sense. Like, let's say, for example, we take Rashi Rice, who in our internal rankings where we've got like a player fantasy point based component that's underlying before it goes through the algorithm that's telling us what the best way to play the contest with respect to the game theory is we've made Rashi Rice and Travis Kelsey the same as far as what their fantasy point projection is so say we take Rashi Rice well now all of a sudden we end up in a scenario where any of the four drafters between us probably not the guy who took Lamar I mean he could if he's getting real crazy could be incentivized to click you know uh, Kelsey and Mahomes before it comes back to us. And so I prefer doing stuff like that at the turn where I'm going to take a chief um, because then I can control it a little more and I can either do Mahomes and a pass catcher or both of the pass catchers and hope no one's willing to take Mahomes Pacheco. Um, 
But anyway, the chief. I just feel like the chief still opens you up to a similar level of risk as taking Kittle, um, but with not quite as high a reward. Uh, we are on the clock. I just put Mostert in the queue talking about Dolphins, but we have a few other options. Yeah, you got two paths of the game tree here that are both perfectly acceptable. One is Chiefs, one is Dolphins. And so if you go Chiefs, you go Rashi Rice here. If you go Dolphins, you go Raheem Mostert. But both are totally viable. It's just whatever flavor you want to play. Let's go Rice. Sure. And so now here's the interesting part. So we want to go to the draft board real quick because we need to see what we're doing with Mahomes. So the Kelsey drafter has Purdy. He's looking for a second quarterback, right? So <laughs> it seems pretty hard for us to get a fast one past him and, yeah. and push Mahomes. So what we're likely going to end up getting forced into is we're going to need to take some kind of advanced rate running back at some point in this. And we've, we've got a couple different options, but I think here we have to take Mahomes, and we'll pray that Pacheco gets back, but he probably won't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, and, and one thing that you can incorporate is like a soft skill if you're drafting is prior to making that rice selection, we can see who took Kelsey again. And right. if there's a team where a second quarterback wouldn't make a ton of sense for them, or they have, like we discussed, those, those really viable alternative quarterback options, then maybe we're more willing to push it. Um, and then the other thing that we could have done here is if you said, you know, Sack, we're willing to play Brown Super Bowl here if we get forced into it then you can just, you know, go full YOLO and go Rashi Rice, Isaiah Pacheco, and you're just, you know, praying Mahomes comes back, and if he doesn't, you hit the e-break into the Browns Super Bowl, so. <laughs> well, Pacheco goes off the board to the Kelsey drafter, unfortunately, right after us. We have pretty Maybe good news, sell. though, overall with our construction, and that is mm -hmm. four of our five Super Bowl spots are accounted for. We only need one more, and the place that we need it is at a position where the Chiefs uh, have them in spades later in the draft. And, <laughs> right. you know, both Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jarek McKinnon. Um, and, I mean, if you if you think that injuries derail those guys, you want to get really deep, maybe you could. But I think you're fine stopping at those two. And so we're actually in – oh, gosh. Yeah, since we have – we won't be able to do one of my favorite things, which is taking both CEH and McKinnon. Um, mm. for kind of that layering effect of I get McKinnon in the later weeks, I have CEH in the early weeks, but they're both live pieces in the Super Bowl. Um, but we won't have the total number of draft slots required to be able to fit two of them. So, uh. and because we need a week one piece, we can't really take McKinnon, right? Because he won't be eligible to come back from IR in the wildcard round. So mm. we can already pencil in, this is something that um, I, I love from Sean is the drafting from the back, right? Like drafting in reverse, so we already know that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is on our team, right? He's he's going to be someone we click probably in the eighth round or seventh round, depending on what the room is doing and how scared we get that someone might take him. Um, and so now... I take him in the 10th. Is that too... Uh, I have can, a ton of McKinnon from before that injury and that... Because I like to totally take him in the Pacheco 10th. constantly because I don't believe Pacheco is good. And then obviously... He destroys in, in week 17. <laughs> Sorry to derail that. No, no. You can totally take him in the 10th. For me, what the way I think of it is if there's not a big opportunity cost that I'm passing on, like if there's not a if it's the same type of player I'm getting, if I take, you know, CEH in the eighth versus take him in the tenth, but losing CEH blows this team all the way up. Like, all right, we're just gonna take CEH. And so here we need, oh, I mean, here we've got a pretty incredible spot. I would most likely be taking Devon Chan. I think 
Oh, but you're getting, sorry, no, you're getting a Miami and KC Super yeah. Bowl or a first round. So here you're probably hitting a hard pivot to Detroit. So I think that we're going to go Laporta into Montgomery on the turn here. And it's not, you know, it's not the highest probability um, that they see San Francisco in the conference championship. Um, you know, that that would be Dallas. But Detroit is, you know, next best thing. Um, we just can't really take Eagles there. So you can kind of see yeah. the way that the game tree decides itself for us. Like, well, we can't take Miami. You saw me, you know, accidentally almost do that. We can't take Philly. And so then we're stuck between Detroit or the Rams and Detroit have a higher probability um, because the Rams would be facing San Francisco in the second round of the playoffs, right. you know, barring a Green Bay upset. So, right. Um, so Montgomery here, any, any other considerations? Yeah, I think time on the clock. I think it's Montgomery just to keep things nice and cozy for us and lock in that running back because the next best option for us is the Browns um, and, and hitting that David and Joku Jerome Ford mm. uh, build right there. But you know, who's not all that much different than the Browns granted they do miss the playoffs sometimes is the Jags and we can mm-hmm. get really highly projected Jags pieces later to help us advance out of this, you know, we're, we're going to have a little bit of a tough round one since we're missing those two 49ers pieces and they're ones that we spent early draft capital on, right. but because we're not mixing in Ravens, um, you know, we, we probably won't have to hit all the way down to the Jags. We might be able to just do this through, you know, the shotgun approach with a bunch of chiefs uh, dart throw receivers. So I love this particular trio of teams and I have a huge amount in my portfolio with this three. It, Explain for the listeners, you know, why we like these three teams together. And you've sort of been doing that, but in terms of how we've gotten here so far, but also what is still to come for us. Yeah. So what remains on the Detroit side, and we're looking at Detroit as like not our team that's going to the Super Bowl, because we really would like if the 49ers go to the Super Bowl since we spent, you know, two early picks on that. But remaining on Detroit, we do have uh, Jamison Williams out if we want additional round one firepower. But Jamison Williams probably isn't all that much different than some of the Chiefs dart throws that are late. The thing that's really beautiful is we have infinite Chiefs dart throw wide receivers that we can choose from. You know, it's a veritable grab bag of of wide (laughs) receivers. Um, And then we still have an AFC opening. So we could go into Browns. We could go into Jacksonville. They're both the four and five seed. Um, So they're both, you know, perfectly fine to play through there. Um, And then. I'm not going all the way down to the seven seed just yet for uh, the AFC because it's, it's still pretty ambiguous. But if you got in an emergency where you were a five by week or five by player kind of team, then you can even go all the way down to the Texans. Um, But it's just, we have so many good options left. And so like for me here, Jerome Ford seems really attractive to help us for round one. Um, now, what we're going to get into, though, is we're going to have that situation where we're likely punting a running back. Um, and so then it just comes down to, do we want to play it through Browns or do we want to play it through Jags? Um, I think for us here, I do prefer the Browns to the Jags. There's just 100% chance they make the playoffs, right? There's that more certainty. And so now I can build in mind with the fact that there might be a running back punt off that I'm doing. You know, if the Browns only win one game, all of a sudden I'm down to only two running backs and it could get really thin with this, you know, David Montgomery, you know, if the lions only win one game too. And so now we may actually end up with enough roster spots 
to do the double Chiefs running back thing that I discussed because we didn't end up with any other bye week players. It's just the 49ers. Um, So at this point, all of our teams are decided for us, right? We're playing within the structure of Kansas City, Detroit, Cleveland, and the 49ers. And so at this point, I'm probably starting to look at, if you really want Jamison Williams, you can take him, but I'm looking at Justin Watson or one of the Chiefs running backs at this point. What do you think, Sean? I like enough of the Chiefs guys that I'd be okay with Williams and then continuing to wait, but I'm certainly okay with the other guys too. Well, we got Williams. What order are you ranking the the Chiefs guys in, albeit, you know, obviously they're close. Who who are your favorites there as you're putting together those KC teams? Yeah, this is a really cool part of some of the game theory for the contest. So lots of the Chiefs wide receivers have really, really late ADPs, like very near 60, which means they don't get drafted in every draft. And so because the probability of so many of the Chiefs start for receivers scoring meaningful points in one specific game, they're pretty close. You know, like what's the pro- what's the difference between you know, Richie James and Kadarius Tony, you know, actually contributing a meaningful score. What's the difference between Noah Gray? You know, like Noah Gray is probably a little lower than those guys, but still it's like they're all so close that I will lean towards the lower drafted guys. So I'm a little sad. I I blew up my own Richie James spot a little bit. I've been talking about him for a few weeks prior, but just when he came off IR and I saw him getting punt return duties and then he was getting mixed in for snaps and getting high targets per route run for the snaps he was actually on the field for on offense. And, and when you consider the problems the Chiefs have had in their receiver core through the season at this point, it felt so logical to me to be like, let me click the guy who no one is drafting that all he needs to do is he needs to you know, beat out the guys that they've been looking for literally any excuse to replace all season, right? And so... Richie James was one of my favorites. Now he's getting drafted a little bit more. Um, But I would say this kind of mirrors some of the logic you follow in like the underdog battle royale drafts of scroll the F down. So even though Justin Watson goes first, and I do, I prefer him a little bit to the others just because he runs lots of routes. He has had games where he's able to get lots of targets. Um, You know, I, I do like Justin Watson, but especially on builds where I'm mixing in lots of the Chiefs receivers, I might take Justin Watson as my first one and then I skip past Kadarius Tony MVS and I do, you know, Richie James there instead. But Richie James is probably my favorite uh, little little pet uh, Chiefs receiver play. I love that. And I mean, he's rising. Those other two guys cannot play at all. Skipping past them is beautiful. It really, for me, is the question between James and Watson. You, you like CEH here to make sure that we don't miss on that Chiefs running back? Yeah, because we have to have a running back for our 49er matchup. Um, now here you could play it through. I mean, this is a spot where we actually have afforded ourselves the luxury of being able to go for running back. Cause if we look at our wide receivers, we do have three filled out for round one. Granted, it would be a little thin. Then we're, we'd have six live players or, or seven really. Cause we've got, uh, you know, the quarterback, our three running backs, and then our three live wide receivers with our two bye week ones. So we'd have a decent number of combinations we could field with our lineup. If we do go Jarek McKinnon here. Um, and so then at this point, because we have running backs that we actually are potentially punting, um, you know, losing them earlier in the conference championship round, we can end up in a one, three, five structure. If it's the Browns. Now, if it's the lions that we punted, we're kind of sad <laughs> because <laughs> we're losing three pieces. Um, 
but I would say any of these are viable. I would probably prefer Richie James or Jarek McKinnon, but all three are, are acceptable. Sean, well, I, I really you. want James after the pitch there. So <laughs> Cool. Let's get him. Yeah, all and right. in general, I would say that if you never drafted a four-running back team, you wouldn't be making a mistake, right? Um, <laughs> and it, there are times where I've drafted four running back teams where like, this is sick. I really liked this scenario for this. But three running back is almost always going to be like a safer avenue to do it where you don't have to worry about thinking through. Um, and I've got these, the the charts that you would actually want to like think through the game theory are in my article on leg up. And it's mm-hmm. just the number of total unique combinations you could field as a starting lineup, given the total number of active players you have in a single week. And so the way you think through it is just, all right, in this week, I'm eight live players, but I'm five wide receiver and, you know, three running back, or I guess we'd only be seven live players if, uh, if we ended up taking McKinnon cause he's dead round one. Um, and so then you'd think through like, what does this look like in round two? If the Browns don't win their game. Okay. Now I'm, I'm still sitting pretty. I'm one, three, five. Um, but if the lions lose their game, what does that look like? And so just kind of going through those different scenarios of how it can play out is what you would do to inform yourself of if a four running back build is acceptable or not. Um, but yeah, it can be a little tricky to think through, especially if you're a little newer to the format. So just to recap our team for the audio listeners, if we have any, Brandon Ayuk was our first round pick at 105. Then we paired him with George Kittle, got Rasheed Rice in the third, Patrick Mahomes, Sam Laporta, David Montgomery, Jerome Ford, Jameson Williams, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Richie James. Uh, a uh, 49ers, Chiefs, Lions... Browns, kind of. Only one Brown, but that's okay. One uh, of one of the best things about this team, too, is our Chiefs selections are perfect for this being in the gauntlet, where there are teams that could very feasibly have a Pat Mahomes, Rashi Rice, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and they might even mm-hmm. have us dominated with a better combo. They might have Ayuk-Debo instead of Kittle, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we did to kind of pull the lever to negate that advantage is... Well, we just took two Chiefs that you definitely were not drafting at the very beginning <laughs> of the contest. No one was clicking Clyde edwards Lair, and no one except myself and maybe Sean were clicking Richie James. So, <laughs> Discuss the trade-offs between taking Jerome Ford and, say, having both of the Chiefs running backs. Uh, discuss the trade-offs mm. between taking the third Lion and other players we could have selected at that spot. Awesome. Super good questions. God, I love, I love the the good questions. So Jerome Ford versus Jarek McKinnon is purely a round one advance lever versus a Super Bowl equity lever, right? Um, where Jarek McKinnon's adding an additional combo for you. It's probably pretty unique if, especially if you get a scenario where both CEH and McKinnon score touchdowns in that game. And you, you'd really prefer it to happen in a game where Christian McCaffrey doesn't go crazy. Um, but that can be a really fun lever that you have then in the finals to, you know, a high finish where you, you've got this thing that no one else really has. And it's not, you know, it doesn't project all that terribly when you consider all the other pieces, you know, there's going to be a lot of people showing up with like a Jawan Jennings, you know, or Eli Mitchell as their <laughs> fifth piece. And so when you get to go toe to toe and you're like, Hey, it's, you know, Isaiah Pacheco, Sean's right. Isaiah Pacheco ended up totally stinking and the chiefs just don't trust him. He fumbled a bunch of the playoffs. Now it's, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and McKinnon are the only two guys they actually trust in the Super Bowl. 
and you've got them both, that's pretty interesting. But Jerome Ford is, hey, this is a guy that's 100% to play in the playoffs. He is playing week one for sure. He's on a team that's been pretty hot lately. And he certainly, he's the projectable volume play, right? And so what it does for us is it boosts our round one advance rate by a few percentage points, most likely. And then, uh, you know, it's just, it's a trade for Super Bowl equity. So that's one of the soft skills you need to have as a drafter is evaluating where you're willing to take those risks and swing for the fences in the Super Bowl, or where you're saying, you know what, what I win when I win with this thing that helps me in the Super Bowl or the conference championship isn't even that great. So I'll go Jerome Ford here to try and get me to more of those Super Bowl and conference championships. And then what I would say is Jamison Williams is actually the pick that I think is is a good example of what do you win when you win? And with Jamison Williams, for us, it's not that much, right? What happens for us when something good happens for Jamison Williams week one is we boost our advance rate by a couple percentage points, right? But we're almost never terribly happy about a chiefs Lions super bowl because we're missing amon Ra, we're missing kelsey you know we're missing pacheco we're missing gibbs we're missing lots of the pieces that will very likely be in the optimal should that be the super bowl that plays out right so lions the super bowl we already know isn't great for us where jameson williams would have the most value right by adding an additional piece and an additional combo to us um, so really then we're just isolating it as what is the value of Jamison Williams in rounds one, two, and three of the tournament. And in round one, it's, you know, probably the biggest that he'll, I guess round two, should the Lions win, um, is, is likely his largest advantage he can provide for us. Um, because round three, he's relatively, you know, low probability to make it to that conference championship game, um, with the Lions. And so, Let's go scroll down to that Jamison Williams pick. I don't really think there is too much we could have done there other than another. We could have gone deeper Chiefs. And so that's your trade-off. Yeah. And so what I think about there is, does Jamison Williams project so much different than, say, you know, Kadarius, probably more than Kadarius Tony, right? But like um, for a uh, uh, Justin Watson, like does Jameson Williams project all that different than Justin Watson? Probably a point better or a couple points better, but is it enough that I want to not then have an extra bullet in the Super Bowl with Justin Watson? So that's the way I think through it. Now, if instead of the Lions, we had been playing it through the Rams, which, you know, forget the 49ers part of it because we wouldn't want to do that. But if we're playing through the Rams and we're thinking instead of Jameson Williams, uh, you know, or instead of a chief start throw, I take Puka Nakua then now, now you have my attention, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I definitely want Puka because he could thoroughly boost my advance rate in the early rounds um, where Jamison is probably just barely moving the needle for me a little bit. So that's kind of the, the way I think through those leverage points. When we're working on this team, are we not making at least some bet on the lions winning there in the second round to where, that conference championship that you mentioned at the beginning, which I thought, you know, maybe is the well, I mean, you said it yourself, most actionable thing that that's the round where maybe he helps us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so that's, that's like the strongest argument for Jamison Williams is that we're right on our lion's bet. And so one of the things that I'm constantly trying to balance is, and I, I guess the lions are probably like right on that borderline for me of, the probability of them making the conference championship is high enough that it still feels like this could really happen. Like, especially if you apply some I know ball stuff to it, like 
the Lions seemed like a pretty hard out. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like after Dan Campbell got a game totally stolen from him by the refs in Dallas, like he's yeah, going mean, to have that think team. That, I mean, does it happen to them again? Or I mean, they're, <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if the makeup ball comes at the end of the key game there. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I could definitely see the Lions just being such a hard out and they do make it to that conference championship. And so, you know, you're, you're certainly right that once we have Sam Laporta and David Montgomery, like trying to mitigate the damage that happens to our team when the Lions lose is almost out the window. It's like we might as well just lean into this. There are times, though, when I'm doing a lower probability bet, like if I did the Jags, for example, which don't project that much worse than the Browns as far as their probability to make the conference championship. But it's like right on that borderline where now all of a sudden I'm like, gee, do I really want to add a third Jag? Because I'm pretty sure that dies a lot of the time. You know, if it makes it out of round one, it's probably dead in round two. Um, So that's the kind of stuff that I think through uh, as far as trying to mitigate risk is the thinner that my team is to actually go to the conference championship. Like the Rams, for example, are pretty thin to actually make it because they got to kind of go through the 49ers. So it's like there's not a ton of time where you want to play three Rams. Um, If you're going to do it, you want to be doing it with a heavy Ravens build because then you're getting all of these Ravens players that were harder to advance in the first place. And the field in general will have fewer total players live later in the tournament. So that's where you can make smart sacrifices like that. Like I'm going to have three Rams. They're going to get me through round one. And then they're walking into the buzzsaw that is the 49ers. And that's okay because I have four Ravens and, you know, other teams with four Ravens are going to have a hard time getting here without the Rams. And so the other teams I'm worried about, they also have Rams that died. So that's kind of the way you can pull those levers in a thoughtful way. You've mentioned uniqueness and mentioned it with Richie James, maybe kind of reinforce for people when that's important and, or when it's most important and kind of the contrast between going for James there versus maybe the decision to take a Cleveland Browns player like a Jerome Ford, uh, a Cleveland Browns running back versus say, and again, it kind of depends on which guys you like from a football perspective or which guys you think project the highest in any individual game scenario, but why you might prefer him over say an AFC South running back who is exciting, but might not make the playoffs at all. Yeah. So uniqueness really only matters, you know, like, you can be as unique as you want to find the guy you need to get out of round one. But if that guy never makes the Super Bowl, all your uniqueness doesn't really matter because there will be plenty of pods where you could advance without the the guy you need, the unique round one. Say that you take, you know, you think the Colts are going to make the playoffs. You take Jonathan Taylor and, you know, you're you're really excited about it. And you're right. And the Colts do make the playoffs and Jonathan Taylor smacked 30 points week one. You're just doing backflips, right? You're, you knew ball. You totally called it. Jonathan Taylor, the guy you need. Well, the Colts don't make the Super Bowl. And a bunch of other teams advanced just, you know, the same kind of roster you advanced, but they didn't have Colts. They just got lucky in their pod, right? Like no one had Jonathan Taylor in their pod. So it didn't matter. So they advanced anyway. And now you're in the conference championship. And maybe you took a second Colt with Jonathan Taylor, right? You went Pittman Taylor, your last two picks of the draft. And they did great for you in round one. But now you're in the conference championship. Not every team is going to have 10 live players. But I promise you, there's going to be some that have, you know, 10 live or, or eight or nine live in that conference championship. And you can just be at such a major disadvantage there 
that that uniqueness in round one does nothing for you later. And so one of the things that I've I've run into in talking about the game with people trying to wrap their heads around it is as far as getting unique, people who are like used to drafting in the the battle royale daily contest on underdog think about, oh, I got to scroll way down and click guys that are never drafted. And we we kind of did that with the Chiefs guys. But for the most part in this contest, the getting unique part is making a team that can field five players to the Super Bowl. Like it's pretty easy to get unique in this contest. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you want to pull that lever further beyond that is just like a situation that we were in here where from drafting earlier in the life cycle of this contest, I know that there will be Chiefs 49ers teams that could have us dominated with better projectable pieces early in the draft. Probably not like two, they're probably not going to have two players on us, but they might have one, you know, they might have everything we have plus a Debo, or they might have everything that we have plus a Kelsey. And all of a sudden we're scrambling to try and make up those points. And the only way to really do that when you're in the finals is taking a player that they won't have. And so that's where you get into the, you know, I'm going to draft the less drafted chiefs receiver. Um, And I'll, this is something I'll actually do in practice. When my Chiefs team has some crazy stuff that was really hard to get, I had big fallers or I had combinations that through the entire life cycle of the contest, I haven't seen very many people be able to get. Then I'll just go with the chalk stuff. I'm like, cool, mm-hmm. Justin Watson, it is. Uh, you know, I know he's going to be out there running wind sprints. Like he might not get a ton <laughs> of points, but he will be getting routes for me. Um, and, and I'll just, you know, stick chalky there. But when I have a team like this, I'm like, I need to do something a little different at the end. Then I'll, I'll draft a later guy. Another one that I do like that um, where it's a lever to pull where I'm like, I'm probably screwed. If I make the finals, someone's going to have me dominated, but I want to draft theoretically live teams They're, They don't have to hit very often, but when they hit, you know, I, I need them to have a path to first place. And so one of the paths to first place that I like when I get myself in this sticky wicket is if I've got 49ers dolphins, and I, you know, I did it because some bad, st- I, I went with like something like we did. Ayuk Kittle from the five, six spot or from the, from the six hole here on the turn. And I ended up having to pivot into a Dolphins build. I wanted to do something else, but I, you know, I missed out on Tyreek and I missed out on Mostert. And so I just end up with a Chan Waddle and Tua. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm dominated every which way. Well, do you know how you get undominated? It's you play Cedric Wilson because you say that, you know, Tyree Kill's ankle injury got worse. Or if you didn't have Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle never gets right from the ankle injury. Or if you, you know, have both the the receivers there, you got plenty of receiver firepower from your 49ers pieces, you go into Jeff Wilson because, you know, I I'm sure we can all anticipate a future where one of the Dolphins running backs has an injury issue, you know, by the time they get to the Super Bowl. And so you know, are, are we saying Jeff Wilson's going to win you all the money? Very, hmm. very unlikely. But what Jeff Wilson does for you in that situation is it makes it so that when you get to the Super Bowl with this specific 49ers and Miami combination that should be dead to rights because other people have better versions of it, you at least have a chance, right? When Raheem Mostert twists his ankle on the first play game, play of the game, and he's perfectly fine. It's not a long-term injury. He's totally fine. The Dolphins even win the Super Bowl. He's happy. Don't worry about him. But Jeff Wilson comes in, and he's the guy that you know Mike McDaniel trusts because of his time. At, you know, and that's the guy that they're going to ride to take him to the Super Bowl. And he gets the Raheem Mostert two goal line touchdowns, and that's the path that you had to follow to actually win all the money. So. 
it's just being willing when, when you're kind of screwed it's just being willing to click the gross stuff and say it's not <laughs> likely it wins but it's better than saying there's actually no chance i can win right and like you mentioned all four of those very exciting players from the dolphins i mean they're perpetually injured so the path <laughs> of the other players is sad i mean it <laughs> it makes you unhappy about the football but it is there and so i mean even beyond the tactics it's very easy to see that scenario that you mentioned playing out. Yeah. And that's, I mean, one of my, the things I like the most about this contest is there's so many people that are just unwilling to get there. Right. And it's like that dolphins one. I feel like you kind of got to weave a, a narrative to get yourself to be like, okay, I guess it's not so gross, but there's stuff that's way less gross that people mm -hmm. aren't willing to get to. And so that's, that's the best thing about this contest. Yeah. Richie James, way less gross. Absolutely. <laughs> uh well this was a lot of fun uh thank you so much for joining um thank you so much everyone for hanging out um sacrilegious any any other work coming out related to these contests that people should be looking out for we just recorded a new podcast uh legendary upside today actually so that'll be out on the premium podcast feed uh behind the paywall for legendary upside i think we'll be doing at least one or two of those every week and then uh, one of my other favorite fantasy football formats of all time is the FFPC playoff challenge, which we will be doing some content uh, over at Legendary Upside for as well. Pat's going to have his uh, ownership projections for that contest, um, which uh, a funny little story. The, the way that I got hooked up with the whole ship chasing crew in general was I did my own projections for ownership for the FFPC playoff contest. And I was watching a ship chasing stream when Pat mentioned he had done his projections for ownership, but they'd only be available behind the paywall in the discord. So you had to join the YouTube channel. <laughs> and I said, gosh, I've spent so much time on these projections. I really want to know like how they stack up against someone else's ownership projections. And that's what got me to bite the bullet and kind of join the whole ship chasing community. And uh, been been very glad that I did. Haven't haven't looked back since. So I'm super excited to get to collaborate with Pat on the ownership projections this season. Uh, I, I think I can speak for him too. when I say it's one of both of our favorite uh, formats for fantasy. It is fantastic. And, and Pat's projections have, have always been awesome. So we'll be looking forward to that. And I mean, this has been a blast. I Blair, I appreciate you inviting me and so much for sacrilegious you coming on. I mean, so, so cool. Loved it. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I've just I've been a, a fan of Rotoviz for so like been subscribed for so long, and you know that that's kind of my uh, you know all right. Let me when I when I take a little break from fantasy after the Super Bowl ends, then I want to get back on the wagon. Like, all right, I got to get ready for way too early best ball drafts. Like, it's always all right. Let me dive into Rotoviz and see what kind of prospects I'm looking at here for for this next season. So you guys are are always what gets me back on the wagon for fantasy, and uh, yeah, just. <laughs> have really appreciated both of your work over the years. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, everyone for hanging out. If you're not already, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, click the like button or whatever YouTube things you have to do. And we will talk at you later.